As a non-resident, there's only three species that you can't hunt without a registered guide, and that is dull sheep, mountain goat, and brown bear slash grizzly. Everything else as a non-resident, you've got opportunity to hunt DIY over the counter with the exception of buffalo, bison, and muskox. It's not a lot of logistics. There's units that you can kill up to five black bears. Um, and then caribou, another one of those affordable hunts that not a ton of logistics. There, there's plenty of opportunities to do DIY. Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host today, Alan Bolin, and I have the great pleasure of speaking with Justin Schaefer. Justin, how's it going, man? What's up, buddy? Good morning. It's going good. Thank you. Good morning. Well, I'm sure a lot of our guests know who you are, but I'll give you I'll give a little bit of background and ask you a couple of questions here just to catch everybody up. But so you and I met through Kuyu, which where you're a full time employee at Kuyu. Yep. Um, you're also an Alaska resident yep. um, for 20 years, right? Yeah, just hit 20 years this March. Yeah. And you have hunted a ton and bow hunted a ton in Alaska. So there's going to be so much awesome information today. Yeah. Every chance that I get, um, I'm, I'm out there hunting something, chasing something. Seriously, man. It looks like, it looks like that's your full-time job, honestly. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish. So what, so tell the listeners, what do you do at Kuyu? Yeah. So, um, my title is the senior director for the guide and outfitter program. Mm -hmm. And then underneath the guide and outfitter program falls the military and first responders program. Mm -hmm. um, and then within the military and first responders program, we've got our nonprofit military and law enforcement nonprofit groups that we work with at Kuyu. And then um, I worked a little bit in the content social media side at Kuyu and then also lucky enough to get work to work with the product development team yeah. um, in testing and developing new products for Kuyu. So that's awesome. got my hat in a, a bunch of areas, but my yeah. title is the senior director for the guide and outfitter program. And that, and that program is huge. Like um, in, in my opinion, you know, having been, you know, closely associated with Kuyu from the beginning, I dude, if I had to pick, this is just my opinion, but if I had to pick one thing, that like really made the biggest difference for Kuyu's success. I believe it's the guide outfitter program. And the reason I believe that is, I think that getting the guides, the guides on board with the quality of the gear, I believe that that created that, you know, some companies have gone through the route of like trying to get influencers to represent their gear. Yep. You didn't do that. Instead, they got the most hardcore hunters in the world using their gear, the guides and outfitters. And then the hunters saw that and believed it. And the guides and outfitters recommended it to their hunters. And in my opinion, that was just such a practical way of like, you know, getting a product out there with credibility. Yeah, for sure. Sure. I mean, it was a huge catalyst for us. There's no pro staff, no paid influencers. Um, we looked at the guide and outfitters that are in the field every day doing this for a living as that um, subject matter expert in the field. And, and like you yeah. said, when a client shows up to camp and their guides and their outfitters are dressed head to toe Kuyu and, you know, they get yeah. that newsletter packing list that tells them what to bring. Like, you Good know, deal. That, that, that sells itself right there. So yeah. Yeah. It's been a huge part of Kuyu's success for sure. Well, cool. Maybe we'll talk a little gear today too, as we talk Alaska. Yeah. They go hand in hand for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely, it can be brutal up there. It usually is. So, you know, real quickly, how did you end up in Alaska? Yeah. So where are you from originally? I didn't, I never, I never do that. I'm, yeah. I'm from Colorado, originally born and raised, oh, okay. um, graduated right. high school and left for the army Yep. and, uh, spent the next 25 years in the military. And, um, I was stationed as an instructor down at the sniper school at Fort Benning, Georgia. And my time to rotate mm -hmm. was up and I, I called my branch manager and said, you know, what's available or can I go? And uh, Hawaii and Alaska were the two options. And we, we all know what I picked. And once I got up here, I, I did everything <laughs> I could to stay. And until I ended up retiring four years ago and taking the job at Kuyu. Wow, man. Yeah, that's amazing. So you were an instructor at sniper school. So I, I guess you, that you were a sniper. That's yeah. Yeah. I, I spent a large portion of my career um, on multiple sniper teams 
Um, yeah, yeah. My 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 job was Ranger, in, Justin. Is that right? Yeah, Ranger qualified, um, jump master qualified, Pathfinder yep. qualified. Went to a lot of you know cool guy army schools. Um, yeah, but yeah, That's... yeah. One of the probably the best job that I had in the army was my time at the sniper school. So okay, the five or six guys that I worked with at that time were still best friends. We still talk every week and. Just it was a super rewarding job that opened up a lot of doors for me throughout the rest of my career and then within the hunting industry as well. So yeah, it was it was yeah. great for for my career, great for me personally and right then on. professionally. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a good fit there for sure. So, you know, I, I you know, I I follow you closely. We've been friends for a while. And I, I yeah. mean, I see the 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 amount of hunting you do in Alaska is just, you know, I'm I'm jealous. I usually get up there once a year for for 10 or 15 days. But I mean, you know, you live up there and you really, you're one of those guys who lives up there and you also really take advantage of the fact that you live there and you really, which is awesome. Awesome. You know? And so, you know, you have like, I mean, you're, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your resume and like, you know, what you've killed, like, I don't know, six or seven doll sheep with your bow. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I've killed nine doll sheep total, six of those with a bow. Okay. Um, and yeah. yeah, dolls are my, my absolute favorite animal, my passion up here. Right on. But uh, like you said, like I, I grew up in the West. I, I play the lottery point system still to yeah. this day and uh, being able to take advantage of the opportunities that I have here in Alaska. Like I don't, I don't take that for granted. Yeah. But I don't let, you know, if, if I have the chance and ability to be out chasing something, I'm chasing something. And as you know, and most people know, Alaska is the Mecca for hunters. Like this is the Holy land. It really is. I, it, you know, it's different though, than some people may think. Um, oh yeah. You know, some people may think that like, there's a high density of game. Yeah. And there, there's not. And so we, there's we have a, not, no, you, I mean, you can go out and walk around all day and not see anything. You could, no. it is definitely. So it, it is, there's a lot of area in Alaska. It's a big, big state. I mean, anybody that's ever seen that image of Alaska, laid over the lower 48, you know, it goes from coast to coast and top to bottom. Um, yeah. We've got a lot of land and we have a lot of animals, but the, nothing is high density. It's very spread out. And yeah, you, like you said, you could be in the field a week and not see a single big game animal. No. And if the timing's not right too, like, yep. you know, you could be in some amazing moose country and if it's not the rut, you would literally think there's not a moose there. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, incredible. And like, yeah. how does, how does an animal that big hide? And it's right, like, yeah. It, yeah. You know, and there's like some brush in the bottoms or whatever, and all the mountains are treeless. And you're thinking there can't be a moose here. Yeah, 16 inch you know? paddles, and they're seven <laughs> foot at the back, and they weigh 1,400 pounds. And it's ridiculous how well those things can just yeah. disappear. It's it's insane, yep. absolutely. So tell me about when you first when you first arrived to Alaska, and you thought, okay, I'm going hunting. Like, what did you? What was the first animal you decided to go after? Yeah. So it's funny. So my first day in Alaska was, um, we drove up from Fort Benning, got here on March 28th and we showed up on, um, Anchorage's record 24 hour snowfall day. Ooh. So I went from hot, boggy, muggy Fort Benning, Georgia to Anchorage, Alaska and really started to question what, <laughs> what was I doing? You know, what did, what, what did I get myself into? You know, it, it snowed 36 inches, and a 24 oh hour period. That was my first day in Alaska. So Jeez. anyways, um, so the first thing that I hunted was black bear. So it was the, okay. the first species coming available. Um, the first thing that I was able to hunt and that that's what I chased first. So, um, how'd you, how'd you do it? Did you, did you drive around in glass or one of my snipers that was originally from, um, Wasilla, Alaska, which is just North Anchorage. And yep. uh, he had a bear baiting spot. Um, we can bear bait here in the spring. Yep. And yep. Um, he kind of took me under his wing, showed me an area, helped me get set up. Um, and I killed my first black bear that year. Um, off Dude, of that's bait. awesome. You know, people don't realize how, how easy it is <clears throat> to do. Like just, just as an example, I was on my way up to go on a self-guided caribou hunt and there was a, the flights got canceled and that the flight into this particular area only happens twice a week. Yep. So I ended up in Anchorage for an extra like four days or three, I think three days. And, um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go hunt something. So I, I, I went to sportsman's warehouse or something and I grabbed yep. the regs. I opened up the regs. I'm like, what's open. And I went through, I'm like, okay, black bears open. Okay. Where's the zone. Okay. This zone's open. It's open right now. I bought a tag, got in my rental car, drove down the highway, got out my glass, 
found black bears within a few hours. Yep. I was hunting black bear in Alaska and people think like, Oh, it's some huge complicated thing to go up and hunt in Alaska. And I mean, sure it can be, it can be wow. Like a logistical monster, Yeah, but there are things you can do really, really easy. Absolutely. You know, we spent a few days hunting black bear. We, we had a pass on a bunch of bears. My buddy almost shot one. He got, he's a little slow in the trigger, but anyway, it was a blast. And it took like, we had not only zero preparation, it was like last minute. We just happened to be there. Yep. Yeah. And that's one of those, uh, the, the few species up here that it's not a lot of logistics to get onto or to go chase. It's, it's yeah. like many of the other Western states where, you know, you've got road access and you're not far outside of the city and, you know, black bears are, you know, there's, there's no shortage of them for sure. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, just to give you an idea that we've got 26 game management units in the state, 23 of those have black bear seasons uh, in them. And there's units that you can kill up to five black bears in. Dang. So highest density yeah. of black bears anywhere in the world. Jeez, man. Seriously. That's incredible. So what was the, what was the first, like what you would consider extreme hunt you went on and, and how long had you lived here before you tackled that? Yeah. So in, in Alaska, you've got to be here for a year to be a resident. Um, right. And at that time, um, you know, I was lower in range living paycheck to paycheck. So for me, the opportunities and options to hunt were fairly limited. So black bear mm. was the first thing in the spring um, and then caribou that fall. Yeah. Um, Cause you don't did, have to be a resident to hunt caribou. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I hunted uh, caribou um, in unit 26 on the hall road Yep. in the archery zone. Yeah, so, nice. You know, one of those affordable hunts that not a ton of logistics yeah. to get into. Um, it's and, affordable, but man, that's a, a long drive and a lot of gas. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it sure is. So that's uh, yeah, from Anchorage to there, it's anywhere from eighteen to twenty-four hours, depending yeah. on um, road construction and weather and fires and and anything else. Yeah, so right. driving basically the length of the state from south to north. Um, it's roughly 750, 775 miles and yeah. more than 400 of that is dirt road. Jeez. Wow. I didn't know that. Yep. So how was that hunt? Yeah. So it was great. Um, that was early on, uh, that caribou herd at the time was doing great. You could kill up to five bulls and just had an absolute blast was able to kill yeah. uh, my first caribou on that trip. Awesome. And, uh, so that, that was my first year in Alaska. So black Man, hasn't, hasn't caribou hunting changed yeah so it's changed a lot so caribou if, if most people don't know go through cycles you know their, their populations go up and down all the time and throughout the state we've been on a, a pretty big decline in a lot of the mm -hmm. units some of those are, are back going up but the the caribou hunting is one exploded in, in popularity so that's driven up a lot of prices yeah. and then two with the, the limited number of caribou um you know it, it kind of limits those options of what you can and can't do in the state yeah. I mean, a guided caribou hunt these days is, is about the, it's almost the price of a sheep hunt. I mean, seriously, well, at least, at least a moose hunt, it's the same. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. What they've yeah. Up to. yeah. There, there's plenty of opportunities to do DIY trips, but again, sure. Um, you know, the, the cost of those have just been, been driven up a lot over the last five years. And, and there just aren't as many caribou, especially, there, especially big ones. Yep. You know, yep. um, was the largest caribou herd in the state. Which herd you say, cut out? You cut out, Justin. Which uh, the, the Western Arctic herd um, okay. cut out of Kotzebue yep. was the largest caribou herd in the state. And at its peak, I want to say that it was somewhere around 600, 700,000 animals. Um, and it declined to just over 200,000 animals. Um, and that hunt closed for several years before it was opened yeah. back up. Yeah. That is back on the, the rebound. It is climbing and growing. But just to give you an idea, um, of, of what used to be the best, most popular hunt for caribou wise in the state, you know, ended up being closed for a while so that they could rebound. Yeah, no, it's, and that's, that's happened with, with several herds and, yep. and, um, yeah, it's nice to see some of them reopening and there's, there's rumors of, of, you know, increases and that sort of thing. Yep. So I guess real quickly, let's, let's just define the species that you can and can't hunt as a non-resident. Yeah. So as a non-resident, there's only three species that you um, can't hunt without a registered guide under contract. And that is dull sheep, mountain goat, and then brown bear slash grizzly. Right. So those are the three species. Everything else as a non-resident, you've got opportunity to hunt DIY 
over the counter with the exception of buffalo or bison um, and muskox. Those those two are draw only um, in the right. state. Uh, everything else you can hunt over the counter DIY as a non-resident. But the the muskox and bison, if you draw a tag and there is some possibility as a non-resident to draw a tag, you can hunt them alone. Yep, absolutely. You sure can. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that leaves us like the main the main species. What we got moose, caribou, black yep. bear, deer. Yeah, um, um, we've got Roosevelt elk. Um, uh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Is that it? I think that's it. Yeah, you, you scatter in, um, you know, we've got wolves, um, right. other predators that you can add in, wolverine. Yeah, yeah. Um, fox, and, you know, a lot of small game predator stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that covers it for, for the big game species. Yeah. So, so if I'm, uh, I, you know, in these, the, the, the hunts on all of those species are dramatically different. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, you compare a Sitka black-tailed deer to, to a moose, to a caribou. I mean, those, those are, I mean, typically dramatically different area. I mean, you, you can find some overlap um, on the caribou and moose without a question, but, but generally like they may be dramatically different. Yeah, for sure. Different areas, different topography, um, weather, logistics, you know, a lot of different, a lot of, yeah, logistics getting in and out of the areas. For sure. There's a lot of differences between those species on your, yeah. Yeah. So if, if you're, you know, if you got a buddy that says, Hey man, I want to go hunt Alaska and let, let's do, let's do two different scenarios. One is somebody wants to hunt Alaska, experience it, do it as you know, as low cost as possible with a mix of the highest chances of success. And we're talking bow hunting. And then let's do the other scenario after that. Somebody wants to maximize like the adventure. Yeah. So for me, if we take out black bear, um, so I get this question a lot. It's like, you okay. know, what, what, what would I hunt? What would I do? And my number one kind of best bang for your buck adventure all in one get everything you can out of Alaska hunt for me is Kodiak. Yeah. Um, and that is for sick of black tailed deer. There is yeah. some crossover there with the ability to hunt um, reindeer uh, slash caribou that were transported onto the Island. There's not a bunch of that. So I just, I have people concentrate on sick of black tails. And as a non-resident, you can hunt three um, mm-hmm. of those on, on the Island. And then with, with that hunt, you get, so you're hunting an Island, you're in Alaska, it's going to take a float plane to get in and out of where you're going. So just mm-hmm. some of those right there are big ticket adventure items. And then once you hit the ground, there's a lot of different topography within Kodiak. You can be hunting tidal flats to 3000 foot peaks um, yeah. that are covered up with mountain goats. There's glaciers. Um, everybody knows the Kodiak brown bear, you know, you're going to see bears, foxes, like there's just a lot of adventure. And then within that, you got a lot of different opportunities to hunt. You can, there, there's uh uh, rental cabins. You can hunt out of a cabin. You can hunt mm. off of vessel-based boats. Um, you can fly into an alpine lake and hunt backpack style. Um, you can be dropped off the shore in one of the bays and hunt out of a big camp, you know, and then spike out of that. So there's just a lot of opportunities. Right. And it's fairly low cost when you consider what other hunts within the state cost. So yeah, to me, that's my number one that I recommend to people is, is sick of, sick of black tails on Kodiak Island. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually haven't hunted Sitka on Kodiak. I've hunted brown bear a few times. Yep. Um, but uh, I have hunted Sitka blacks on Southeast a lot. And it's similar, uh, yep. different in that, you know, Southeast is, it's so, it's so timbered. Yeah. That, yeah. So you need, you either need to go late in the rut and hunt the timber, or what I like to do is go early and hunt the alpine. Yeah. Backpacking. True backpack style alpine yeah. Sitka blacktails. You know what people don't, uh, you know, th- these deer hunts, like people don't realize it, it can be like a sheep or a goat hunt. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It, it's very similar in, in, uh, gear and, and hunting style and, and optics heavy glassing. And, yeah. um, like you said, Alpine, you're above timber, you're hunting the mountaintops, especially in those, those early seasons, it's a true backpack style hunt. That's very similar to sheep or mountain goat hunting. You know, the mountain goat area that that I owned and operated, um, in British Columbia is literally a hundred to 150 air miles yep. from where I was sick of blacktail hunting in Southeast Alaska. And it's to me identical to a mountain goat. 
hunt. Yes. Like yep. I'm, I'm backpacking the exact same terrain, maybe slightly lower, you know, not, not a big difference. I mean, it's cliffy, it's Alpine, it's nasty. The weather's awful. Um, you know, in the particular areas I was in, there's no mountain goats and instead of mountain goats, there's deer, yep. you know, and, and you're like, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like a full adventure and the, the cost of doing that on your own, you know, I just, I just called and found a, a charter company that would fly me in. I flew into catch can, you know, grabbed a rental car over to the, the, uh, or a, they actually even shuttle you. And then, and then you, you pick a lake on a map, you do a bunch of research and you fly yep. in and get dropped off, you know, yep. now a lot, I guess <laughs> what could go wrong with what I just said, Justin? Oh yeah. I mean, there's a ton of things that can go wrong. And number one uh, thing that probably kicks most people's butt in Alaska, even if you're prepared with all of your gear and everything is weather. Yeah. Like the weather here can just absolutely kick your butt. It, it Especially if you're getting flown in and you're relying on that aircraft to get in and out of the field and weather rolls in, you can be stuck there for, for God knows how long, you know, right. until that weather breaks again and you can get out. Um, so yeah, for, for me, one of the, the number one things that can mess up a hunt is weather for sure. Yeah. I, I was telling you that one time I was on the South end of Adak Island, I got dropped off by boat down there. I was with my son and a buddy and my son had taken a little bit of time off school and we, you know, we had planned on the whole trip taking like 10 days Yep. and, um, we were there 23 days. Yeah. Uh, the seas picked up. This was different. It wasn't like flying weather. It was actually boating weather, right? Yes. Same, yeah, same, very, same thing. You yeah, know, you're, you're relying on a transport to get you in and out of the field, and weather's going to dictate that. It, it's crazy, and you know we're we're like eating caribou to like you know get by. I mean, yep. it was it was wild. I mean, it was you know the weather was actually kind of beautiful, you know, down there on the hunt. But you know there were days, of course, where it weren't, where it wasn't. But you know the seas were 15 to 18 feet, and yep. you know they have a. 26 foot boat like that ain't happening you know yeah and so yeah so so you can get stuck what about you know okay so let's let's talk about mountain hunting now you know a lot of guys have done it let's say in colorado or utah or whatever and you know they backpack hunted for deer or elk or whatever and that's obviously a great first step yeah so how is it different in alaska yeah so again um with alaska being bigger, you know, it, it takes more logistics and more prep work to get in and out of the field. Again, you're, you're not just going to walk out of trouble or, or walk out of the field. Most all the hunts here that are, are worth their weight or worth doing are going to take some type of transportation to get in and out of the field. Right. Um, you know, if you're lucky, it's a four wheeler hunt, you know, where you're getting yourself in and out with four wheelers, but more times than not, you're either going in by boat or you're going in by plane. And again, weather's going to dictate that and from that airstrip. And there's just a lot of logistics that a lot of people don't think about compare, comparing a, a Western elk hunt to an Alaskan moose hunt or an Alaskan mountain hunt. Yeah. So in our, in our normal Western lower 48 hunts, like we are always driving to the trailhead. I mean, yeah. it's like almost always. Like, I don't know if I've ever... Honestly, I can't think of a time I've flown in somewhere in the lower 48. Maybe I have. Yeah. I don't know, but I can't think of one. Yep. Yeah. So, so typically you rely on that. So how does the weather also, like, I don't know, um, like wrapping your head around getting rain poured on you for eight days straight on a backpack hunt. Yeah. Yeah. There's a mental mindset there. So when we were testing before we launched our Katana stretch reindeer, um, I was lucky enough to be one of the product testers on that. And that first hunt that I tested it on was on Kodiak Island. Um, and I was there with a group of buddies, sick of blacktail and, and mountain goat hunting. And it was nine straight days of torrential downpour. Like I lived in my Katana reindeer and base layers. And that's what I hunted in uh, yeah. from the woke up in the morning, you know, shook out the reindeer, put it back on, hit the mountain and then back in the tent for nine straight days of torrential downpour. And that can be a grind, you know, even if you're, it's your first time in Alaska, your dream hunt, your adventure, saved up all this time, vacation, you know, put all these resources to go. Um, and yeah, you've got to be mentally ready for that, <laughs> that grind. Again, like I said, one of the biggest factors, the one that you can't control in Alaska is weather. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, in Cody on Kodiak, a lot of times when the weather's bad, you can still hunt because 
Yeah. You're so, you're so low. Right. Yeah. But that same thing happens to you on a doll sheep hunt. It's a different story, right? Yeah. I mean, two years ago, um, hunting the wrangles in, uh, Eastern Alaska, we spent four straight days in the tent, uh, torrential downpour and but the rain wasn't the issue, but it was fog, fog, yeah. fog and cloud cover. Like we couldn't see more than 50 yards, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's no reason to get out and, and climb the mountain because you can't blast anything. You can't see anything. Yeah. So yeah, it's just brutal. There's, there's a different mindset when, when you're stuck in the tent like that for three to four days. Yeah. I think, um, on a lot of these, you know, in Southeast, it's actually the same way because we're hunting yep. the Alpine. So, yep. you know, even though it's, you know, 3,500 feet, you know, they, when, when the weather moves across the ocean, the weather comes in low and basically in the Alpine along the coast, if it's raining, it's likely also foggy. Yes. I mean, it would be like on Kodiak. Um, you know, if you're down below the peaks, like you, you know, you're below the fog, but if you're up on top of the peaks and the storm moves in, you're, you're fogged. Right. You yep. know, I mean, mostly. Yep. And so in, 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 in Southeast, you have to be on top because it's all timbered below. You won't see any deer. Yeah. So like the, the whole idea of I'm getting absolutely soaked, like I'm getting poured on. And then I have to get into this little backpacking tent and it's going to rain for five, six days straight. And I might, I might, I might only get out a few times because of the fog. Yep. Like people wonder, like, do you stay comfortable? Do you stay dry? Like what is, you know, I think that wrapping your head around, how does, how does an experience like that actually play out? Yeah. So for me, there's, there's two factors that I've learned over time. And that's, you, you mentioned it dry. Like I always try and keep a dry set of base layers in my pack that I sleep in. Yeah. So I, I like to have that creature comfort of being able to crawl into my sleeping bag and, and be dry. And then the second one um, that's come along with technology and, and phones and battery banks is either eBooks or download Netflix so that yeah. you've got something to do to keep your mind busy when you're socked in that tent for three to four days. That's um, right. So that's my go-to is being warm and dry and then being able to either read or watch movies until the weather yeah. breaks. Audiobooks are my, my, yep. yeah. The movies are awesome, but man, they, they drain battery. They, they do. Yep. Yeah. So I, I run yeah. a combination of both audiobooks right. and then movies. And yeah. then, you know, it's nice when you got two or three guys in camp and you can share and rotate. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've listened to entire novels like yep. out loud with the guy in the tent with me. Yep. You know, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous what we put ourselves through. Yeah. Well, that's so, yeah, I, I, I like your recommendation a lot. Kodiak. It, it sounds like an awesome, awesome recommendation. And that you're right. There are, and there's very expensive ways to hunt Kodiak too. There is. Yes. The one that I have not done, but I've had a lot of people do um, that I would love to do is a, a vessel based hunt yeah. and, and they're not expensive per se, but it definitely drives your cost up um, when you're looking for a bargain. But What's nice about a vessel base is um, they take you to and from shore every day on a skiff, right. drop you off, you can hunt, and then you're coming back to a place that's warm, dry, there's no bears, hot you food. can take a shower, hot food, yep. and then you've got the potential to waterfowl hunt, fish, opens up the doors for a lot more opportunity to add to that adventure. Yeah. And, and for what it is, again, it's still a great bargain price compared to other hunts um, for yeah. what you're getting out of it. But yeah, you yeah, can yeah. definitely go the luxury style and, and live on a big, big boat for that week that you're on Kodiak. Yeah. I've done that quite a bit. We ran a boat even in BC, um, yeah. right. For our bear hunts. And I've, I've yep. done it in Alaska as well, but I will say that, I mean, it's, it's an amazing, like honestly being on a boat while you're hunting the shorelines and crabbing and, catching some halibut or yep. whatever. Like it is one of the most fun hunts I've ever done in my life. I like, yeah. I'll, I'll always want to do hunts like that, but I will say that you haven't really experienced the ruggedness of Alaska by doing that. hunt. Now, and there's nothing wrong with it. I do them. I like them, exactly. but it's different. It's very different. It is. And for guys like you and me, like living out of the backpack is what we live for. Yeah. So strapping that pack on, on your back and, and going into the mountains for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 days, like that grind yeah. is what, what we train all year long for, what we prep all year long for, what we buy gear and shoot our bows and shoot our guns. Like 
that's that week that we live for each year. So yeah, same thing. Like I said, and why do you, why do you think that is, man? What is it about sheep hunting or that style of hunting? Yeah, I think it's super primal, like just the alpha maleness, like being able to conquer the mountain. You know, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, like and, and for the guys that I hunt with, like it's it's overcoming adversity and and, and embracing that grind and embracing that suck and and you know, coming out the backside winning, knowing that we did it all on our own, unsupported, living yeah. off of our back, you know, on the mountain. You know, there's just a lot to take away from that, you know, that that that's what what drives us yeah well said man it's also um i find the feeling of independence that you know so i've got everything i need the most i've ever done really is 12 days but i've got everything i've need for 12 days on my back like literally anything could happen like it could rain for the next 12 days it could whatever i could probably make this last 15 16 days you know and and like i i have everything I need. And it's all right here on my back. And life is simple. Yep. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it, There's just a lot of reward out of that, knowing that you can self-sustain yourself in the mountains, in that ruggedness, you know, for however long you're out there. Yeah. Still, you know, even with all of my belongings in, in a, you know, 6,000, what is it? Cubic inch. That's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah 6, 000 cubic I, inch. I, was, I was getting the leader in cubic inch thing yep. <laughs> confused there for a second, but a 6,000 cubic inch pack has my entire life for, for 12 days. I still managed to lose everything. <laughs> what ditty bag is that chapstick in? Yep. I mean, it freaking drives me nuts. Like I feel like I spend 15 minutes of every day looking for something when I'm backpacking. Yeah. Yeah, you're, for probably, sure, yeah. you're pretty disciplined. You probably have a pocket for everything, right? I am that guy. So I'm, I'm super anally organized. Everything has its place. Everything is in a bag. Yeah. I, I, I'm one of those guys that lives by that, that knows where everything in his pack is at all times. Yeah. It, it drives a lot of my buddies nuts, you know, cause they're, they're like you, they're, they're scrambling looking for where their, their spoon is so they can eat yeah. their next every, mountain house. Every day I have to look for my spoon yeah. every <laughs> single day. Yeah. And for me, the, the same thing, as soon as I get done with a meal, it gets wiped off and it goes back in the sleeve on my jet boil. You know, I know exactly I know where it is. Yep. Yeah, of course, Justin, yeah. of course. So, and, and, you know, I, I, I attribute that to the, the military lifestyle, you know, 25 years in the army, very regulated, very disciplined, um, very organized. And, and that's helped yeah. me cross over my, my hunting side for sure. Yeah. I would have broke the army probably, man. They couldn't have handled my, I would have gotten kicked out or something. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the bigger animal hunts, the, the caribou and the moose. Yeah. Um, what is a guy getting into? Like if a guy wants to, and, and there's a big difference between caribou and moose, but, yep, but a caribou still is, is a pretty serious, it's yes, a pretty it's serious animal. Definitely a size. step up. Yeah, it yeah. is for sure a step up. Yeah. So again, you're looking at more logistics. Meat care really comes into play about getting uh, it, it out of the field and taken care of. And you're just, you know, you're going from a hundred pound deer to a 400 pound animal, you know, right. so it just adds more to it. And then typically speaking, you're hunting in different areas. Now you're looking at tundra, mm-hmm. um, a lot more vastness, a lot more openness. And the tundra, even on dry years is super wet. So it can be 70 and sunny. And you're, you still may be in knee deep, muggy, boggy tundra. Slogging. So, yeah. Slogging. So there, there's more logistics there again, but absolutely one of those ones that somebody can fly up to Alaska, do on their own and, and make an adventure out of it. Uh, caribou or moose, both. Um, you're going to rely heavily on a transporter to get you in and out of the field, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely one of those hunts you can do on your own once you're dropped off. It, it just, you need to be prepared for, for what you're doing. It's, it's likely not a backpack hunt. Yeah. Typically speaking, it's not, you, there's some mount or there's some caribou hunts that sure. can be backpack hunts, but yeah. overall you're, you're operating out of a base camp um, and day hunting out of that base camp. You know, you generally got a, a bigger four to six man tent, you know, may, you may have a two burner stove, yeah. um, some spots, you, you know, cots, you know, you, you've got some more creature comforts and luxury items. Um, and it, that's typically speaking going to be, a base camp style hunt. Yeah. Yeah. The backpacking for caribou is BS dude. I mean, I've done it. 
and I still do it, but I got to say it's BS. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I've done like in the Alaska range, the caribou up there live in the sheep country. They do. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I mean, they're called barren ground caribou, but it's a mountain caribou. It is. They, yeah, they yeah. live there year round. There's no migration and yep. they're, they're in the sheep country and it's low density. Like, you know, you could hike three days, not see a caribou. Yep. And, and then all of a sudden you'll see this little band of three bulls, you know, a little herd of three bulls tucked into this little spring and the, you know, in a valley or something, but yeah. up high, high, high valley, not a low yeah. valley, like a little, you know, um, the, the head of a Canyon kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. The head of a drainage. And, you know, I killed a big bull in there. I think it was 2016 and there were three of us. And the, then the guy, the outfitter had three more guides that were just hanging out at camp. So he said, Hey guys, meet us halfway and help us out. And we, we were on the other side of a mountain range. So we had to go up one side and down the other. Like yeah. it was, we were, we were looking for a big ram. So we probably wouldn't have ventured that far just for caribou, but then this yeah. monster 400 inch bull shows up. So and you can't anyway, not shoot him. dude, it was, I can't describe how hard it was. Yeah. Like, I mean, everybody had, you know, packs over hundred pounds because yep. we had all our gear, of course. And then when we finally met up with the other group up at the peak. So we came up that side. I mean, that made it easier, but we were so beat down at that point. It was, it was unreal, man. Like the the pack out, like if, if two guys had killed that bull and expected to get that bull out, like, I don't know, like I, you would have had to, but we're talking like that trip, like it's a day and a half each way. So, I mean, you're talking like. I mean, you got a day and a half out and then a day, you, you're talking four and a half days yep. of two guys killing themselves to. And, and that's where guys, guys <laughs> get in trouble on moose hunts. Right. You know, it's it's right. shooting moose too far from camp, not realizing what they've done until they walk up on that animal. And every yeah. that I've ever killed or ever been a part of, I walk up on them and go, what have I just done? Yeah, like they are overwhelmingly big. Like you, you think of a Clydesdale horse. Right. And you know, the, these transporters and these guides, that's why they tell these guys do not shoot it more than X, Y, Z from your camp. Yep. You know, and, and that's because you've got to get it out of the field. And it, it, yep. it's just, it's a big task. Big you know, I'm not a, I, I weigh 165 pounds and I'm in really good shape, but a moose hindquarter just about breaks me. Like, Yep. I mean, I, I can barely do it, man. And, you know, and I believe there's a, there's a law that you cannot debone. Yeah. It de- yeah. It depends on the unit um, within the state and then within that subunit, but there are units. So where I killed my big bull two years ago, you cannot debone. Yeah. Um, so when we brought the quarters out, when we got back to my buddy's garage, we weighed them and both my rear quarters were um, just North of 130 pounds. And yeah. the front shoulders were in the mid nineties, just to get people's perspective yeah, yeah. on how big that is. So yeah, that's a single. Well, then you've got load. your pack frame. Say that's yeah. twelve pounds or whatever. Exactly. And- yeah. So you, yeah, your pack frame in it. So you throw that on your back. So that's a you know, and that's why they tell you don't shoot the bull, you know, too far from camp because you've yeah. got to get it back to to the strip or or to the camp. For luckily for us, it, and and you know, one I killed the bull at ten lifetimes. Two, it was a 400-yard yard pack if, if downhill. If anybody listening hasn't seen the bull Justin killed, go to his Instagram account. What's how, what's your Instagram? It's uh, Justin Schaefer 1115. So. Okay. Go there and look at the bull he killed. Was it last year? The year before, wasn't it? The year before, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, my gosh. It was uh, 75 and 3 eighths wide and, and, and roughed out at 243, uh, 243 <laughs> inches. So, yeah, just uh, an ultra mega giant. But got lucky and, and was able, it was a 400 yard downhill pack out to the airstrip. Oh, so, well, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, just super lucky, but yeah, to, to put it in perspective, 130 pounds on a rear quarter. Yeah. Um, for, for somebody that's big, that's a lot of weight, especially if you've got to cross a Creek or cross a Valley or, or, or go up yeah. in any capacity, it is a, a, a serious butt kicker. Yeah. And, and you may, you may think, Oh, I'll worry about that later, or it's a labor of love or whatever you, you know, is in your head about packouts. But I'm telling you, when you put it on your, I mean, even like I, you know, even thousand yard packouts with yeah. a moose, you're like, Oh my gosh, if I had to carry this two miles, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I know lots of guys that live here. But, um, I was just talking to a buddy last night that just booked a, a DIY moose hunt for 2024. And so he was asking me the, the rundown and I was telling him, I was like, man, I have so many buddies that will not shoot a moose if they cannot see their camp. Right. You know, like that's their rule of thumb. And then I know yeah. so many guys that, you know, hunt in the peak of the rut that like they call from camp, like they do not yeah. leave yeah. their camp because yeah. it, it is so much, I mean, just to, to semi put it in perspective, your average bull moose is going to take two guys, six trips, just to get the meat out. Right. No. And, and then one of those last laws is you cannot bring out the trophy until all the meat is out of the field or on that last pack out. So you're leaving, you know, that, that caribou or that moose rack until the very end. So you've got to get all that meat out of the field, back to your camp prepped and ready to go before you can even take or consider that trophy value coming out of the field. I've I've got a, a buddy who has a really light inflatable raft. Yep. And he hikes up into some pretty remote country with like some decent water coming out of it, like a, a nice uh, stream and, and he'll kill bulls and, yeah. and float them out. Yep. Um, like they have to walk it, right. They, they walk, they have waders, yeah, walk the shoreline and they, and, 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 yeah, but they drag it along in the water. And um, it, he, he swears it's like the way to go. I mean, that, I mean, that really expands the country. Cause yeah, I mean, you may have a landing strip, you know, close to water. Right. And then, and then where does that water go from there? Again, yep. there's a lot to this. Like you, you can't just like look on a map and think I'm going to do this. Cause you don't know what that water looks like. Exactly. Like it could be, a, and it changes from year to year. It could be a raging monster, which yep. then would be undoable, or it could be a trickle and then you can't do it. Like, yep. Or it could have so much like obstruction that you're constantly unloading and whatever. But I mean, there's, there's a lot to this, but in the right circumstance, that's, that's a possibility. Yeah, no, for sure. Like you said, it opens up one more doors and and raft hunts are super popular um, for that reason. One, you get to see so much uh, more country, new country. And then two, logistically, you know, you've got all your camp right there. Um, you're, you're talking about a float hunt. Yeah. Float hunts for either yeah, terrible yeah. or most. This, this is a different, this guy's a drop hunt and he's taking like a 10 pound inflatable raft with yeah. him while he hunts. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a few guys that do that. Yeah, okay. With those yeah, yeah, yeah. Rafts and style like that for, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. But, but yeah, float hunting. Now that's one thing I've never done. Have you done that? So I, I used to own a, a caribou guide business and we used to do DIY drop off float yep. hunters. And for me, the experience are like, I don't have the patience as, and it's funny saying that as a bow hunter and a sniper, like I don't have the yeah. patience to sit on a raft and just let it take me down the river. Like yeah. my brain w- would, would, you know, I, I would go nuts. So, yeah. um, I mean, the, the probably floating, everybody's floating by so much good country. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, and, but with that and what, what we used to sell to people is that, you know, even if you're not seeing the animals, you're seeing new country, you're getting to fish. Um, you know, you're picking new camp spots. And then with that, that's also a downside. It's like, if you got crap weather again, you're taking down your tent in the rain, you're putting up your tent in the rain, you're floating in the rain, Yeah, you know? So again, it's, it's pick your poison of of what you want, but float hunts are a great option for, for guys to hunt caribou or moose as well. It'd be nice. You know, I would just like, again, I've never done it, but I would be looking for a float hunt. That's like, Okay, if I floated, I could get out of there in four days, but the hunt's 12 days long. Yes. So I can stop and hunt. Yeah, you know, two I, to three I can days set up camp and spend yep. spend a couple of days looking this country over and then move and then do it again. Yeah, yeah it gives you that chance to to logistically, you know, east out and look at your terrain on whatever app um, yep. or, or service you're using and, and look at glassing points and look at what the river's doing and and you know, look at access in and out of the field, you know, it's a, a, another great option and with a lot of other tools that you can add to it on that type of hunt. Yeah. How do you, how do you do your moose hunting? Are you guys flying in? We are. Yeah. Yeah. So we're flying in, um, like hunting, stuff. Yeah. Cub stuff. We're hunting Western Alaska, um, super light camps, um, and, uh, pretty much trying to pre-scout drainages that have bulls in it before the season, and then yeah. once the season opens up, flying into that drainage, set up camp, get on a glassing point and either glass for bulls or call, call for bulls or, or both. 
Yeah. And then that's how we do most of our, our moose hunting. What's your, what's your preferred dates for moose in Alaska? Yeah. So it kind of depends on where you're hunting in the state because the rut varies the further North you get, the yeah. earlier the rut is, but um, typically speaking right around that 10 to 20 time frame of September. Yeah. Right on. Okay. So, so August you're hunting sheep. Yep. Yeah. That's my then, number one species. Like my favorite thing, August 10th is when the doll sheep opener here is, and that's the number one item penciled in on my calendar at the beginning of every year is doll yeah. sheep. Right on. You got it penciled in already. I, I do, but this year I'm lucky enough. I, I booked my stone sheep hunt to complete my oh. slam. And I've got to be in BC. Opener is August 1st, as you know. I, I, yeah. I've got to be in the camp in the BC on July 28th. Um, so, where are you hunting out of? I'm hunting uh, with uh, um, out of northern BC uh, with Spot CZ River Outfitters. Okay. So, nice. Yeah. Man, that's exciting, Justin. That's exciting. So, yeah, I'll be missing the, the dull sheep opener here, but yeah, well worth it. So, I'm, I'm super excited to, to have that opportunity to hopefully finish my, my sheep slam. No, I hope you do, man. Well, I'll be hunting Thanks, dolls buddy. while you're hunting stones. So nice. Hopefully, hopefully we, we have uh, luck on each other's species. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm hunting each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, let's see what's uh, on the moose. Do you think it's worthwhile to DIY? Or do yeah, you think no, absolutely. When, when you get to like an animal that big with that much logistics and pack out and everything else, is it better to use an outfitter? So it, it absolutely can be. And it just depends on your financial situation. And, and if you're good with hunting um, or an outfitter, like those guys are set up and ready to be able to get those moose in and out of the field. But there's a significant jump in price when you go from a DIY drop off hunt to a fully guided moose hunt. Um, and you know, most people are not financially in that position to be able to book a fully guided moose hunt. Yeah. So the, the DIY is a great option, which they're still pricey. But, you know, if you do your homework, do your research, go in prepared, it's absolutely doable. I know guys that fly up from the lower 48 and kill big mid-60s type bulls, um, you know, regularly without yeah. any issues, without any problems. Right. Okay, that's good to know. I yep. think there is like, you know... I mean, I, and this should go without saying, but I'm just throwing this out that I know a lot of people who are unsuccessful as well. Absolutely. On the DIY. I mean, moose hunting is not like an easy thing. You know, oh, you have to, the weather has to cooperate. Yep. You have to use good technique. You know, I, I got a buddy. This is an interesting story. Tell me to think about this, but I got a buddy that went on this, this drop hunt. It was like a big drop. Like you, like you could bring a quad that kind of drop hunt, yeah. right? Yep. Like a, a big plane and a big country. And he said, I, it was something like there were 15 guys dropped at this spot with him and his three buddies. And these guys are from Arizona. And so they're big glassers. Like, yeah. you know, the Arizona guys yep. are like the best glassers in the world. You know? Absolutely. And so they get there and they just think, Hey, you know, we got a glass. That's what we do. And so they find high spots and they start glassing and they would, they'll find, they find bulls, right. By glass in the middle of the rut. Right. Yep. And, um, but they're glassing. And so they'll find a bull and they put a stock on it and they get, you know, somewhat close a couple hundred yards, whatever they call a little bit, the bull shows himself and they kill it. They went three for three and the rest of the camp went over 12. Yeah. <clears throat> because Absolutely. the rest of the camp was driving around in the four wheelers calling they're just yep. calling and they, they don't see anything there's driving around calling they never saw a moose yeah they, right? they, they watch too many youtube videos where it right. just shows the one guy throwing out a cow call and a bull busting through the timber and yep. you know that, them killing them and that's you know not realistic like you, you mentioned it earlier you could spend 10 days in the field and never see a moose right you know it, it's it's skill set um along with timing along with weather you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. And like we've said a thousand times, whether it be lucky than good sometimes, and sometimes you just need that luck to be in the right place at the right time. But then after that, it comes down to skill set. Like you've got to be able to put in the time behind the glass. You've got to be able to make that stock. You've got to be able to, to make that shot when the time counts. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, man. Yeah, for sure. That's true. So tell me, um, Justin, what are some of the, you know, I mentioned I got stuck on the South end of ADAC for an extra couple weeks. <laughs> what are some of the, 
things that you've had sort of that were unexpected, went wrong, you had to adjust. And I know I'm throwing this like spur of the moment on you. Should I, I should have prepped you with some questions, but can you think of some situations where somebody might've gotten taken off guard and you had to deal with some crap? Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, if you take out all the times that I've been stuck, um, you know, those, those are boring stories, but the, the one that jumps out and comes to mind when people ask me, you know, what, what was the craziest adventure you've been on? Um, and I was hunting muskox in Nome in January. Um, and I was with uh, a couple of buddies. We flew into Nome, rented snow machines, and we headed 50 miles north out of town, killed a muskox. And we had a nasty storm that wasn't supposed to come in until the next day. We thought that we'd be able to get out to the field, kill the muskox, and get back before the storm rolled in. Well, it yep. came in a full day and a half early. And we got caught in the middle of this nasty, nasty blizzard. And we had the muskox loaded on a sled, snow machine in back. And, and I mean, just absolute whiteout conditions. Yep. Uh, snow drifts. And the next thing you know, we're, we're stuck. Snow drifted out where we, our trail we had already just gone through is gone. Right. Yeah. Um, and we had the muskox loaded whole because we wanted to beat the storm. We could see it coming in off the, the ocean. And we knew that we were in trouble and that we needed to get out of there as fast as we could. Right. So loaded the muskox hole and under normal conditions, you can do that with no problem until we hit that snow, snow drift. Right. And, you know, there's only so much you can do with the weight. So now we're in the middle of a blizzard field dressing a muskox, which they're, they're 800 pounds. Yep. They're big. They're hairy. They're not quick and easy. It's a multi-hour project. Yeah. Yeah. So now there's, there's three of us in a blizzard, whiteout conditions. Um, my buddy puts his Havilon through my hand. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From one end to the other through the middle. Oh my, of my gosh. Tongue. Oh my um, gosh, dude. That's so, unbelievable. Yeah. So we get, get the mustox all butchered up, split between two machines. You know, we got him uh, field dressed, cut in half, loaded onto two machines. We're going and one of the snow machines breaks down. Yeah. So now we, we just leave that snow machine. We GPS it. We put the second die on the other snow machine we're going, we're going, we're going wide out conditions, get the snow machine. The the second one stuck again, just, you know, snow drifts. Yeah. We can't, we can't get it undone. So we end up dumping the muskox. We GPS it. We get the snow machine out. We're going off two snow machines. One of them runs out of gas. So now <laughs> we, we put three of us onto one snow machine and the, the whole time. So there, I've got me and an army buddy. And then I've got another buddy that flew up from Montana just to be on the hunt. And he is going into panic mode. Like he's, you know, he's starting to freak out. He's like, we're going to die. You know, me and my buddy are, <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, we, we've got all the survival gear we need to make it yeah. through the storm, you know, so yeah. trying to calm him down. Three of us on a snow machine. We're about 15 miles outside from town and the snow drift takes us off the trail and we bust a track or not the track, bust one of the skis on the snow machine. Yeah. So we get it drawn yeah. back on the trail. So now there's three of us on a snow machine in with a blizzard ski. with one ski. Right. So we would, we were able to go about a hundred yards and then we'd have to get up, move the snow machine back on the trail. We, we finally make it back to town late the next morning, storm clears, and then it goes into recovery mode. So we've got stuff scattered for 50 miles of tundra, you know, <laughs> snow machines, muskox, sleds, you know, so just you guys have a tent. Uh, we, so we did, we had, we had a full emergency kit with us in yeah. a roll top waterproof dry bag. We had sleeping bags. We had a uh, shelter. We had warming devices, you know, in, in case we did get stuck out there and we had to shelter in place for the night. We had everything that we needed yeah. to survive the night. We just, we, we didn't know how long that storm was going to last and it was yeah. nasty. And, and one of that. Yeah. yeah. We wanted to get out. So we spent the next day and a half um, recovering everything. And when we got back to where we had GPS, the muskox, we couldn't find it. There was so much snow. Uh, We'd done about two yeah. feet of snow. Um, and then with the snow drifts, as we were on the bottom of a riverbank and we spent the next three or four hours, just walking back and forth until we found a half an inch of horn tip sticking out <laughs> of snow on, yeah. on my must and, and dug him out. And in the end, we ended up getting all the snow machines back to town, get the must back to town. But that was the worst conditions and, 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 you know, kind of cluster that I've been on <laughs> in Alaska. Well, if you, if it was you pretty had, brutal. Yeah, just been able to get the muskox back. 
you could have just handed GPS coordinates to the guys who rented you the snow machines and walked yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, dude, that's a good story. That's a really good, on a lot of levels. I think that really, I think that creates a picture of what can go wrong. Yeah. You know, we had a, we had a, in, when I was outfitting in BC, which, you know, is the same country, right? I mean, it's coastal, yeah. coastal beaches Absolutely. like Southeast Alaska, right? Yeah. And um, we had a guide and a hunter you know, something happened like the hunter got, uh, maybe it was even the guy got a text from his wife. Something was wrong at home. And these guys just wanted off the mountain and the weather yeah. was bad, bad. And we're like, we can't fly. We can't, we can't get you out. So these guys are okay. We're hiking down to the ocean. You can pick us up in the ocean. Like, okay. Well, we don't, whatever, if you really want to, but probably that's not a good idea. Yeah. So they do it. They take off. They run into, they, they kind of get out of the, 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 bad stuff, but then they run into a river, they cross the river, they get soaking wet yeah. and they call, they, they call on the cell phone, send a helicopter. <laughs> we're, we're soaking wet. We we're in the middle. We have no idea how to get to the ocean. We're blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And spike my partner, business yeah. partner up there. He says, no, you have a tent. Well, yeah, I have a tent. Do you have dry sleeping bags? Yeah. We have dry sleeping bags. Pitch your tent, roll your sleeping bags, get in. Yeah. And they're both freaking out. Like, no, 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 we can't do that. We can, you got to send a helicopter, whatever. Spike just says no. And so yeah. they hang up, whatever. Spike gets a notification from search and rescue that the guide had called search and rescue. I, I think he hit his, uh, his, his in reach. Yeah. Yeah. Spike calls him back. What are you freaking doing? <laughs> like these guys had panicked. Yeah. They, they had absolutely lost their minds and they're calling helicopters. And I don't even know, like if you've seen them a mountainside in Southeast Alaska or, or BC, like yeah. you can't land a helicopter there. No. Like, I don't even know. Like anyway, so he finally calms them down. They, and, I, and I'll tell you, it is amazing when you are soaking wet, discouraged, freezing, you feel like you're like borderline hypothermic. Yep. You, you pitch your soaking wet tent because it's soaking wet from the night before or whatever. Yeah. You pitch that thing and you think this sucks. I'm going to die. Yeah. And, you, and, and, and it, the wind's blowing and the rain's driving sideways. Your tent's soaking wet. It even looks wet inside. And you get in there and you get your pad out and you get your sleeping bag out and you put on that dry set of, of, um, of base layer. Yeah. And you get in that sleeping bag and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how amazing this is. Yeah. I'm going to be okay. This is not so bad. Yeah. Like, and you literally, it's like you're in heaven. It's like you, it's like you're in a five-star hotel. Yep. It, it is incredible. Like that, you know, and that's why I asked if you had a tent. Cause like, ultimately you guys would have been fine. Yep. Yeah. You ultimately know? we would have. Yeah. And yeah, um, we were going to run every last logistic resource to get out of that storm. We could, you wanted that. But, yeah, no. And that's right. That's right. There's no reason not to. Yeah. That phone call that you just had being an outfitter died and, and dropping off caribou hunters. Like I've had that same conversation more times than I can count where I'm on the sat phone trying to tell the client that we don't need to come pick them up, that they have a tent, they have a sleeping bag, get in it. The storm will pass and you yeah. will be fine. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. It's, you know, I even use, um, single, single wall, you know, the QU single wall tents, yep. um, the, uh, mountains. What, what, I just the forgot summit, the names. Summit refuge. Summit, yeah, yeah. Summit refuge. And then the smaller one, summit star. Yeah. I I've, that's the one I use now that summit star is freaking in, incredible. Like the amount of room in there for one guy yeah. is so perfect, but you know, you pitch this single wall tent with no floor and people think, what is that good? <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it is a five-star hotel. I've never yep. gotten wet in that thing ever. Yeah. Like there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You just have that mental mindset to know that you've got that to get into, you know, yeah. when, when the crap hits the fan and, weather sucks and you're hating your life and questioning everything you've ever done yeah. in that moment to be there. You know, when you get that tent up and you call inside that sleeping bag, everything is going to be okay. Yeah. It's, it, it's amazing what good gear can do. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it really, that the tent and sleeping bag, there's no beating that. I mean, you, you, no matter how good your gear is, if you're in driving rain and wind and it's cold and yep. eventually, you know, you get wet somehow yep. and, and, like you got it like that, the dry sleeping bag and, and a tent it, those are your lifelines. Absolutely. 
Yep. Yeah. And yeah, that's just going to keep you in the field and, and not hit that panic button. Let me ask you this question. How important for, for a guy who going to Alaska on this amazing adventure, DIY, how important is understanding your GPS and your mapping software and having that all properly downloaded and ready to go? Yeah, no, it's, it's huge. It's gigantic, um, especially if you're going to be on your own and, and you're DIYing it, like you said, um, to be able to know where you're at at all times, how to get back to your camp, and then using that, you know, to your benefit of glassing points. And can I get yeah. from one ridge to another without being cliffed out? And right. you know, where where's this river drainage going to take me? Like, that is a huge asset that you should be, you know, highly skilled at um, in your, your GPS or, or whatever mapping software you're using like it's a must like that's yeah that's a no-brainer for sure and you make out in the sure you have that nowhere. stuff downloaded because yeah. you know it may work awesome in your house and then you get up there like, and your wi-fi this yeah. works well yeah obviously yep. you didn't download it and there's yep. only certain applications that download this you got to know what you're doing yeah i'm sure there's like youtube videos on how to read topo maps yeah but if you don't know how to read topo maps make sure you do oh for okay. sure yeah, that, like we talked about earlier, when, when you get in trouble, you're not walking out of the field. Right. You know, you're not walking to a road and then and then heading to the city or, or, or hitching a ride. Yeah. Knowing like where the cliffs are, where the pass, like where the passable valleys are or, yeah. or if you can walk down that ridge or even like knowing you're like I've been turned around in the fog where I'm actually walking the, the wrong direction. Yep. And, and I mean, what people will say you don't have you don't have a good sense of direction. Okay. Well, I mean, unless you've done that when you're in super thick fog, trying to stick to a ridge and the ridge is wide, yep. you can get turned around so easily. Like yep. all of a sudden I look at my topo map. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've been rock walking the wrong way for half an hour. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's unreal. How yeah, you I've get done, turned around. I've, I've done that on the open, the wide open tundra where a fog bank rolls in. And the next thing you know, instead of heading towards the river, I'm walking away from the river yeah. on it. And then just like you were talking about, um, Four years ago, I drew a premium two-dash doll sheep tag, killed a big ram, and we're hiking out, and it's all fogged in, and the ridge splits. And me and my ranger oh, yeah. buddy that flew up to the hunt with me, like, we are both 100% convinced that we are on the right ridge line. And for 30 minutes, we walked down the wrong, wrong ridge line where it split, you know, and then had to turn around and with 100-pound packs and sheep yeah. on our back climb back up because we weren't getting out of the finger we were walking no down no you you yeah. have a valley between you and the ridge you're supposed to be on yeah yeah and, but yeah we had already walked through there we both had gps but because you know the, the weather and, and tired and everything being tight and, and narrow like you know ended up walking down and, and splitting the wrong ridge line yeah and so what happens in that situation i've had that same kind of thing happen what happens in that scenario if you don't have a GPS or you don't know how to read or you don't know how to use it, but you're yeah. positive you're on the right ridge. You yep. literally have no freaking clue what's nice. going on. Yep. And, and no you're just going to walk yourself into more trouble. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Th this stuff is really important. I actually, you know, I, I've started using my phone as my primary GPS, but I, I have a watch I, I as a backup yep. and I mark, I mark the place where the plane dropped me off. I mark my camp every, yep. every time I walk away from my camp, I mark it. Um, if I'm going to be gone for the day hunting away from the camp, you know, my camp's usually at a different spot every day. Right. So yes. I'll have, you know, it's camp one, camp two, camp three, whatever, you know, through camp 10, you've got to have just some basic waypoints. If something happens to your phone, you lose it, battery, whatever. Yep. I like having that watch as the backup or some kind of just a, just a little GPS as yep. a backup. I'm sorry, man. These to me are absolute necessities for hunting areas like this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When it's that remote and that fast, like you, you've got to have, you know, a primary and then a backup in, in for certain items like that yeah. for, for those types of situations. You know, you're in Colorado. It's just different. You, you may have hunted your whole life in Colorado and you never needed the GPS and that's fine. I'm yes. comfortable with that too. Yeah. It's just different, man. When that fog rolls in and the rain's blowing sideways and you got to get back to camp again, your lifeline is that tent. Yep. Yeah. It's anyway, I mean, obviously we're not trying to scare people away here. No, no, for sure. We're just trying to prep, you know, you just got to have that mental prep. And, you know, I, I tell guys all the time, control what you can control because you can't control the weather. So buy and have the best premium gear you, you can, you know, control those factors, yes. be in the best physical shape you can, 
you know, if, the, if you can control those two things, they're going to help you to have a, a better successful hunt, a more comfortable hunt and a more enjoyable hunt, you know, control your fitness, control your gear. Yeah. Nicely said, man. Nicely said. Well, I think, uh, I think we've been going for about an hour or so now. So, uh, maybe we'll tie it up, but that was, I, I enjoyed that Justin. That yeah, for sure. No, no, I appreciate you having me on Alan. Yeah. I, I hope people listen through the whole thing. I think we got into some important stuff there at the end that, you know, I, you know, it could save somebody's life or at least, at least, I mean, let's not get too dramatic, but it just made the experience like way more enjoyable, yep. you know, cause yep. I mean, nobody likes sleeping out and pouring rain in your freaking rain gear and, and soaking oh. wet. I mean, yep. we've done it. It's like, and you, and you, and you can go hypothermic and die doing that. So quick. You know? It happens so quick. Yeah. So, well, Justin, thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely, Wade, Wade buddy. Appreciate you. And you're, you're an absolute killer. And, uh, you know, thank we, you, man. I appreciate, we, we appreciate that. Buddy. All, all you do, man. So yep, thank you. Yep. Have a great day, buddy.